Welcome to Brand and New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation. In this podcast series, every two weeks, host Audrey Dove shares with you a new topic related to innovation and its impact for the legal world, with a special focus on intellectual property. My guest today is widely recognized as one of the world's foremost leaders in the field of intellectual property. Dave Kapos, partner at the U.S. law firm Kravath, based in New York, is the former director of the USPTO that he led for four years until 2013, engaging key changes in management and operational systems. He also spent before more than 25 years at IBM, the world's largest patent holder, that he joined as a development engineer and where he held several executive posts in the legal department, including the role of assistant general counsel for intellectual property. He is an adjunct professor at Columbia and Cornell Law Schools. He has received numerous accolades, named one of the 50 most influential people in intellectual property by managing IP, one of the 100 most influential lawyers in America by the National Law Journal, among others. His unique career pathways give him a 360 degrees vision of the interactions between IP and innovation. So no doubt, there will be a lot to learn in this episode for all IP practitioners. Dave, while leading the USPTO from 2009 to 2013, you had to navigate both the patents world and the trademarks world. While we often feel like the patent system is intrinsically more innovation-friendly, do you feel that the way these two registration systems are both set up is adapted to the challenges of current innovation and to incentivize it further? And what would you respond to the recurring argument that the patent registration system is outdated and limits innovation to the benefits of big patent holders by increasing the threat of costly litigation? Okay, well, a lot of questions uh, in there. I suppose I'd start by saying I think the both, um, in the case of the U.S., the patent and trademark registries are very focused on being current with innovation cycles. Now, that being said, it's hard to be 100% current when technology moves at the breathtaking pace that it does. And so any government agency, I think, inherently is going to find itself continuously playing some amount of catch-up, and I think this is both on the patent and the trademark side. The other thing I'd mention is that I think in the case of the U.S., the our trademark system really is an outstanding model on a global basis. The U.S. has long held firm to a use-based trademark registry, and uh, and as a result, it, the U.S. has, even in the, in the midst of dramatically increasing global awareness and access to branding, the U.S. Trademark Office has managed to maintain a relatively clean registry. And that's because we require use from the beginning and we police use um, and we require declarations of continued use and we permit cancellation for non-use. So there's um, a clear appreciation and policy emphasis in the U.S., 
on a use-based trademark system, which has served us extraordinarily well and I think should now provide a model for other countries that are encountering extreme congestion of their trademark registry. Being mostly a patent lawyer and therefore already very familiar with the whole patent management system, you probably stepped in your role at the USPTO with a fresh look on the trademark registration system. Did you notice characteristics in either of the two registration systems that could be helpful to the other application process, uh, internal processing procedures, availability of databases or others? Mm, yeah, it's a great question. So as the chief IP lawyer at IBM, I was in charge of both trademarks and patents. So an IBM, you know, has a very famous brand, one of the top brands in the world. So in a lot and a very large trademark portfolio. So I've always thought of myself as being an IP generalist, someone who was very interested in trademarks. That said, I would be the first to admit that trademarks is such a specialty practice with such nuance and touch involved in it that that we patent people go where angels fear to tread um, when we try and, and uh, opine lightly on very complex trademark matters. So I, uh, with that, I entered the USPTO and, and immediately began to notice some things about the trademark side of the office. Number one, it worked extraordinarily well. Number two, it was well-funded. Uh, number three, it had a constituency that was very well aligned with its mission. And all three of those points were somewhat in contradistinction to the patent side, where when I entered the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, our user group was so mad at us, they were suing us, literally suing mm -hmm. the agency for mm -hmm. the first time in history. So there was not just discord, there was downright acrimony the patent side of the agency was running out of money. In fact, one of the first things I was asked to do was to figure out how to lay off the workforce, which, of course, we didn't have to do in the end. It gives you a sense for, you know, almost a tale of two cities kind of view when I first entered the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office with a trademark function I see. that was in very different condition from the patent function. Is there any particular aspect you think trademark people should be more aware of? Yeah, I think areas where the where trademark experts can refer to the patent system, and I think I'd go in both directions mm -hmm. on this, are involve globalization. It's affecting brands, of course, but it's also affecting technology. And whereas brands have the complexity associated with them of uh, culture and language, Technology is generally border agnostic, right? The 5G standard mm -hmm, works mm -hmm. as an example, right? The 5G standard works the same way everywhere. And so there's some, I feel like there's some natural advantages, natural susceptibility to globalization that technology has and therefore that benefit the patent system that maybe can be points of reference for the trademark system. And in that thought, cascades into issues like exhaustion of rights mm -hmm. and um, you know we've seen that come up in the patent and the copyright system here in the U.S. and how does that interface with you know passage of rights gray market products parallel imports in the trademark domain and I've felt like there's there is some opportunity to learn from one domain to the other there. Mm -hmm.
I would like to talk about uh, your career that you started at IBM in uh, 1983, and you stayed with Big Blue until 2009 uh, when you were appointed as director of the USPTO. IBM is very much considered as an atypical patent owner, given its internal system, its patenting volume, and its huge licensing power. Have you noticed an evolution in the way a big tech company manages its IP portfolio and more generally treats IP issues over this period of time? Um, just in general, uh, I, I don't think these trends are you know, unique at all to IBM, but, but I think they span technology concerns generally in many industries. Intellectual property and intangible assets more generally have become more central. And I've seen that happen over the entire course of my career, where, you know, in the 1980s, when, when measurements were taken of the portion of corporate value attributable to tangible versus intangible assets, the results came out around 85% tangible assets. That's the buildings and the machines mm -hmm. and stuff like that, the manufacturing equipment, and about 15% intangible assets. In the space of whatever, 30 years or so, those numbers have inverted themselves. And now modern measurements of intangible versus tangible assets show that the intangible assets of companies are worth around 85% of the total value and the tangible assets only 15%. That is a huge, huge change. And with it has come a steady, monotonic um continuing increase in uh, the importance of intellectual property, the importance in disputes, the importance in deals, in M&A activity, in joint ventures. Um, the IP is frequently the last issue to get decided because it's the most contentious, it's the most complicated, it's got the most value locked up in it. And C-suites are spending much more time, board members, CEOs, are much more knowledgeable about intellectual property now than they ever were before. And this counts for trademarks slash brands at the same way it counts for the innovation that gets instantiated in patents. And oh, by the way, trade secrets as well. Mm -hmm. um, and designs all have become, in the space of my career, crucial, crucial mm -hmm. central, mm -hmm. more important than anything else that's going on in a company. What made this change possible? Uh, well, I think what has led to this change is that innovation is where the action is, right? Mm -hmm. and, and quality and brand distinction are, whether, are where the action are. And as a result, companies have focused on them. Countries have learned and figured out that the way to create the most economic value, the most opportunity, the largest number of jobs, uh, the most sustainable competitive advantage for your country is through innovation and that in turn gets captured in the brand space and in the patent space. A few years ago we noticed a boom of very specific high-tech patent litigations over many jurisdictions. I think about smartphones. Overall, as the volume of patent disputes uh, increased at the same pace patent registration have and therefore will it grow even more in the near future in your view? Or do you rather believe that these litigation series are circumstantial, temporary, and driven by an industry's need to consolidate at some point? Mm. Yeah, I think they're, they're on the circumstantial side. You know, what we've been seeing in the U.S. since about 2009, if I remember it right, 
is a gradual decrease in the amount of litigation. Um, and there was a, a blip when the AIA was passed because of um, required uh, change in joinder rules, which caused um, one litigation against many parties to become many litigations against many parties. But if you normalize for that issue and then take litigation rates since then, they've been going gradually down in the U.S. by a substantial percentage overall. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think it's probably overall a good thing. But it's happened at the same time that patent filing rates in the U.S. anyway have actually been fairly stable. They've increased somewhat almost entirely because, if not more than entirely, because of increased filing volumes from China into the U.S. So if you set the influx of Chinese applications along, I think you'd find that the filing environment has been fairly stable. I do think, coming to the question, that in the face of those trends, the so-called patent wars are actually really no surprise at all, and, there's, and they're like watching the same movie over and over again to those of us who've been in the system for a while. There was a patent war in, during the steam engine industrial revolution influx or advent, um, and that occurred primarily in the UK when it had the world's predominant patent system, England. Then comes along the U.S. and the advent of the sewing machine. And a guy named Howe creates the cross-stitch. And a more entrepreneurial or innovative marketing genius in Singer comes out with the actual working machine. And there's a patent war. Then you had Samuel Morris and the Telegraph. And there was another patent war around that. And you had the light bulb. And you had the telephone. And you had wing flight and the Curtis versus the Wright brothers, and more recently now, as you point out, the um, smartphone-related patent wars. So what's happened, if you trace each one of those patent wars, they come down to rapid periods of innovation where many parties are vying to enter these huge new markets, paradigm-changing markets, and the markets are settling down, Mm -hmm. and there's a tremendous number of disputes. It, in no case has it ever impeded market growth. The markets have just continued to grow right through that. The disputes have eventually settled out as the parties came to agreements and licensed their patents or whatever, and progress marches on. So I don't view these the most recent patent wars as anything bad or troubling. I just view them as an outgrowth of a paradigm-shifting innovation coming into the market. So you don't see that they work finally against innovation? Not at all. Not at all. In fact, they're part of the natural innovation cycle. Being first with a major patent owner, IBM, we already mentioned it, then with the USPTO, and now in private practice, you pretty much sit on all sides of the table over your career. You are also a board member of the American Intellectual Property Law Association and the Executive Advisory Committee of the International IP Commercialization Council with the IP Owners Association and with the International Intellectual Property Society. Drawing from this 360 degrees experience and given the challenges raised by innovation, What is to expect or wish for IP lawyers? Well, I think IP is going to continue to be a major feature um, on the brand side. Commerce is global. 
brands are the way to distinguish the quality of products and services and the origin of them. So I see a continued very bright future for the brand world. Similarly, for the patent-related innovation world, patents remain the world's currency for innovation. They're how innovation gets its channel into the marketplace. They bring interest to innovation. They bring capital to innovation. And that hasn't changed at all. In fact, in a world in which it's more easy all the time to copy great ideas from others and in which you know every night from any business anywhere in the world, your most important assets walk out the door on sneakers. That's all your trade secrets in the minds of your professional employees. And you hope they'll walk back in the door the next day. And some of them do, but invariably some of them don't. The patent is the gold standard for protecting innovation. And so I see it continuing to get more critical, continuing to draw more focus. Um, I just don't see any end in sight as all the vectors point to innovation. And there's one way to definitively protect innovation. You, you just you can't anticipate that the importance of the system on the brand side or the patent side is going to change. And would you have any advice uh, about uh, the importance of artificial intelligence that is growing? I'm doing a lot of work on, on AI right now. Your listeners will be happy to hear that I see absolutely no risk of an AI algorithm creating an invention anytime soon. This is a long way away. AI is great, but it's great at doing things like automating phone answering and the like and language translation. Really important but is not showing any signs of threatening invention and it's not showing any signs of threatening the jobs of lawyers. What it is doing that I think is great is it's enabling us as lawyers to add more value and not spend our time on doing rudimentary things. You know, discovery analysis and litigation is one example, whether it's trademark litigation or patent litigation or whatever. In the old days, we used to have to spend hours and hours, days and days, leafing through documents of discovery. That's all done in an automated fashion now. We spend far less time on discovery, far less drudgery. That's great. Nobody's complaining about that. Our lawyers are spending their time adding value, doing legal analysis, thinking, writing, researching. So I don't see any threat to legal jobs. What I see is an opportunity to add value at a higher level and do work that's actually more fun and interesting, the reason we got into this profession in the first place. Dave, could you tell us your secrets? That's a question I ask to all my guests. Uh, how do you keep up with tech innovation? If you were to give our listeners one practical advice, such as one small step to include in their daily professional routine, or a source such as a book or a publication uh, to make them more knowledgeable in new technologies and the topic we discussed today, what would it be? You know what I would point to, this is, may, may or may not be helpful to folks, but it's, uh, and I see this in, you know, in, in lots of lawyers with whom I interact in this domain, it's curiosity. If you can keep your curiosity and pursue curiosity, if you're curious about something, take some time to pursue it. That's what I do. If I'm curious about, like recently I've become curious about AI, so I've been spending a lot of time on that, pursuing it as a matter of interest, but also professionally and affirmatively then seeking out opportunities to work with clients on AI-related engagements, to write papers on AI, to research, to speak at events involving AI, uh, to attend other people's events involving AI. So I think it's the curiosity and then, you know, just following that and, and not being, you know, sort of afraid or 
reluctant to follow and invest in something you're curious in. Thank you very much, Dave. My pleasure. My guest today was Dave Keppels, partner at Crevath. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for future episodes of Brand and New, a podcast from the International Trademark Association. If you liked this episode and think someone else would too, please share it. And to learn more about INTA, please visit INTA.org.